You're listening to Perry Noble's thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. You can find Perry online at perrynoble.com. Well, hello and welcome to this October 2015 edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. <laughs> My name is Shane. I will Changed be uh, your host today. And that's a really appropriate, uh, that's an appropriate soundtrack or sound because today we're going to talk about leading in the middle of a war. Uh, you know, Perry, being an effective leader is tough even in the best of circumstances. But when a leader is feeling the added pressure of opposition, discouragement, fear, even depression, uh, being an effective leader can seem like an impossibility. Every leader goes through difficult times, but our teams, churches, organizations, whatever it is that we're a part of leading in, still need us to be able to lead well. So that's what we're going to talk about on today's podcast, leading in the middle of a war, not a national or international war over land or policies, but an individual spiritual war. So right out of the gate, uh, Perry, let me just ask you this. How would you define spiritual warfare? Shane, I would say that spiritual warfare is the pressure that every Christian on the planet wakes up and faces every single day. Um, and I, w- I would also say this, and um, I- I've had people push back on this idea, but I've just seen it play out um, over and over and over again. The more responsibility you have, I think the greater amount of warfare you're going to experience. Um, the enemy would love to take out um, if if you got two opposing armies and one army is coming against another army. Um, if they have a choice between taking out a private or taking out a general, they're always going to go for the general. Now that does not diminish the the fact that the private's still in the army, but um, spiritual warfare is a fact that I think we lose sight of. Um, it was John Eldridge that wrote in a book several years ago, and I can't remember the book. Um, but he talked about how we live in a world at war. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said we make two equal um, and you know dangerous. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he there, there are two false beliefs we have about demons. One is that they don't exist at all. The other is that they're mighty and powerful, and they're you know they're tougher than Jesus. Um, and it and it's one of those things that we've got to get lodged in our mind because think about this. In every horror movie that is that comes out today, so like if uh, like um, the, the Exorcist, they they remade it. They'll probably remake it again. Um, you know that the preacher or the priest that shows up, um, his butt is going to get worked in that. I mean, oh, yeah. he, he's going to get killed or thrown out the room or whatever and so we've got this whole misconception but spiritual war fair is a very real thing the other re- the other reason it, it doesn't get a lot of attention is because um most people who talk about spiritual warfare talk about it too much mm-hmm. and so oh the reason my car wouldn't start is because there's a demon in my car no um you don't have any gas and it has nothing to do with demons it has everything to do with your ir- irresponsibility not go get gas mm-hmm. so um but Taking that, bringing it back to the middle, as we read Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, there is a cosmic conflict going on, and it's not only going on in the universe, but it's going on in the life of every single person every single day. And I, I, I want to get uh, just a little more um, 
uh, dig into that just a little bit more and talk about spiritual warfare. Um, so what you're saying is, obviously, there's practical reasons things happen. You don't put gas in your car. Right. But would you say in the life of a believer in particular that any resistance to where you're trying to get to is spiritual resistance? Or is there anything that we mistaken? Like I said, we don't want to, and I know you're not like there's a demon behind every bush kind of person. Mm-hmm. But how, how can we know if we're fighting true spirit, cosmic conflict type thing versus I just made a bad decision and things are not going my way? Yeah. I think with spiritual warfare, it's the constant tug to do things that you either don't want to do, or number two, they're just easy to do. You don't have to fight through it. Like for for example, one of the most um, one of the most fascinating texts in the Bible to me, in in the entire Bible, and it's in Matthew and Luke. Maybe maybe the stories in Matthew and Luke, um, but Matthew four, Luke four. So Jesus gets baptized in Matthew three, Luke in Luke three, Luke chapter four, and Matthew four says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert or the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I I remember the first time I let, read that, and I'm like, whoa, Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil? And, um, and I, I mean, it hit me. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, in order to get to where you need to go, he's going to have to lead us through tempting situations. Now, God does not tempt us. The Bible is very clear that the enemy tempts us um, because of our own evil desires. James chapter 1, um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, we will not be tempted beyond what we can bear. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to follow him um, in and through difficult times. That's good. So we need to realize, and our listeners need to realize, that when we're facing spiritual challenge, that God's not distant, he's not aloof to it, but it is part of what he's allowing us to walk into to create something or prepare us for what's coming next. Yeah. Uh, this morning, just this morning, I, I found myself in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, where about Paul and the thorn in the flesh. Mm-hmm. And nobody knows what that was. I just know that thorn in the flesh can't be good. Yeah. And, um, he, he, and he absolutely says in that text that God was using that battle to shape him spiritually. Yep. And I'm like, man, that so so spiritual warfare is not an excuse to sin, but rather it's a reason to fight. That's great. And and I, I think I think leaders, we've got to understand we've got to understand that in our in our own hearts and in the lives of our people. That's good. So let's uh, look at it this way. Does a leader get a pass or get have an excuse to not be an effective leader when they're in the middle of this type of personal war? I don't think so because as I look at the life of Jesus, I don't see him taking um, taking a mulligan because he was going through a tough time. After the temptation, um, and once again, Luke 4, Matthew 4, one of the Gospels, maybe both, but I know that one of them says that after that, uh, the, the devil left him until an opportune time. And then um, it goes on to say the angels came and attended him, which I'm going to have to – I've never been to that level of spiritual warfare. never had an angel, seen an angel. I'd probably mess my pants if I did. If you're listening, you have seen an angel. I'm, that's awesome. Please email me about it. In fact, don't email me about it. Just keep that to yourself. But 
Um, the thing that I think, as I read through the scriptures in the life of Jesus, is most people think the next time that Satan approached Jesus was maybe the Garden of Gethsemane or whatever. But as you look through the life of Jesus, he lived a life of spiritual warfare. Everywhere he went, there were critics. In fact, there, there are scriptures that say that the Pharisees went from Jerusalem to Galilee. That's about, that's about a one-week journey simply to attack him, point out his inconsistencies, point out what he was doing wrong. Um, Shane, I think one of the greatest spiritual battles Jesus faced is in John chapter 6 when he fed the 5,000. And I think it was John that said they intended to make him king right. by force. And that's spiritual warfare. That's, that's, that's the enemy looking, saying to Jesus, hey, look, man, I've got you some voters. I've got you a following. I've got you some people. We can do this thing, and it doesn't have to be painful. I mean, all through his ministry, we see him going through spiritual battle after spiritual battle after spiritual battle, yet he finished the assignment that God had on his life. And so just because we're going through spiritual warfare, um, no, it doesn't, it doesn't give us a pass because the reality is as we follow Jesus, as we follow Jesus, I feel like the spiritual warfare in our life will always increase. That's good. You know, as you were saying that, I was just reminded, it says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Perfect through suffering, yes. And then in Hebrews chapter 6, it said he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, there's probably a zillion layers to those two texts, but the reality is this is what you were saying. Mm-hmm. He didn't get a pass, but there was something God was even doing in Jesus during those difficult times. Well, Perry, let's, let me ask a personal question. I know you faced uh, this issue in a big way. You even wrote a book about battling through uh, depression. It's called Overwhelmed, if you haven't gotten it. Go get it right now. It's a really great book. Yes. Um, But what are the two or three things that you learned about leading in the middle of that battle? A couple things. Number one, honesty and transparency are essential um, for people that are going through a a spiritual war, warfare. Honesty and transparency. You've you've got now, you know, don't go stand in Walmart and get on the PA and announce it, but like you've got to have a group of friends, family that you trust that you're completely honest and transparent with. Because if not, um, the the enemy's going to defeat you. I I, I just realized this recently. I was um, I was in Jerusalem and I was looking at a map. Um, and I was thinking about the, the story about Nehemiah, when Nehemiah went to rebuild the wall. And so Nehemiah goes to rebuild the wall, and in Nehemiah chapter 6, it talks about how um, – what, what's, what, what's the guys' names? They, they were real, the oh, shady the bad dude. guys? Yeah, the ba- – the, um, they were shady guys. I mean, they were real shady. You, you know, Sanballat and Tobiah. Yeah, that's right. Sanballat and Tobiah, which just – I mean, the, I, that's just shady. Um but they they it were like, like something come, Al Gore would have come. Yeah, Sanballat, Sanballat, and Tobiah. The heck is that? I don't know. Anyway, they ask him, "Hey, we want you to come meet with us on the plains of Ono," which I've always thought that, that was funny. Oh no! Oh, um, but no. I found on a map that the plains of Ono are actually about thirty or forty miles away from Jerusalem. So they were they were trying to distract him to the point of not only was he not working on the project that God had given to him, but he was going to go 30 to 40 miles away from it because of distractions. And so if, if we're a leader and we're in the middle of spiritual warfare, 
distractions are going to come our way every single day, and we've got to have a group of people around us that we can go, we can talk to, and say, hey, I'm in the middle of this battle. I'm in the middle of this struggle. Um, what do I do? Second thing I learned is um, that pressure is nothing more than a call to humility. Um, if If you're facing pressure, you're at I mean, that's just God reminding us that we need Him. I, <laughs> I've always told people, a lot of times they'll, I've gotten to the end of my rope, and Jesus is always there going, I've been waiting on you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there are situations where Jesus is going to allow you to get to the end of your rope so you can see your need for Him. I, um, there, there's a belief going on in Christianity, and I hear real popular Christian people say this, and it's just not true. And um, this is the saying, God will never put more on you than you can handle. Um, I've, I've heard that, and it's wrong. Uh, they, they get it from 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that says, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But if God will not let more be put on you than you can handle, then why in the world would you need him? Yep. God will often let – if God will not let more be put on us than we can handle – then why did Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane ask, God, will you let this cup be taken from me? Yep. And so the thought of God will never let more be put on me than I can handle is not true. God will let more be put on you. So it'll drive you to your knees in desperation for him, keep you focused, keep you humbled, and help you push through. So true. I was just thinking if that was true, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die because he wouldn't have put so much sin on us that we'd have That's to right. go to hell. That's right. That just I mean, doesn't even make I, sense. I, I, people, people say that, though. They do say God it. God will put, never put. I, it, it, that, I mean, I get the intent yeah. that God's looking out for you, but yeah, God's not looking out for you for your everything to just be you know, happy and great. He's trying to make you like Jesus. Yeah. And if Jesus had to suffer to be Jesus, then we're going to have to. Well, it's like I said well. today in this sermon, it's like people think Christians are always supposed to be happy and angels show up in our bedroom to blow rainbows up our butt so Skittles can fly out of our ears all day long and we can sing the happy song, but that's just not reality. I mean, we have, we have bad days. quite the experience. When you it, said that, I thought, I wonder what that would actually I, feel it's like. It's probably the worst metaphor I've ever used in, in my, my life. We shouldn't probably talk about but, that yeah, anymore. Okay. All right. How about this? More serious. Um... I know you talk to a lot of pastors, a lot of church leaders, um, and just curious from your vantage point, what do you think is the number one issue uh, facing most pastors or leaders today? Hands down, it's discouragement. What kind of discouragement? Or what well, are the primary causes for that that you're, you're seeing or hearing? Um, well, I know so many pastors and I know so many church leaders that are discouraged. Um, the number one reason for discouragement is comparison. Uh, that's not just true in a spiritual sense. It's true in every sense, you know, athletics or business or whatever. But um, I've got a friend. I've got a, I've got a real good friend, and his church is in the top 1% of churches in America in attendance, top 1%. Um, but because there's a church not too far from this guy that's bigger, he really does wrestle with um, comparison. And he, I mean, he's openly said, you know, I struggle with this, I wrestle with this. And I tell him, hey, I understand because um, I think I'm doing good. And I went, man, we're doing great. And then 
Craig Rochelle farts and another campus opens and, you know, they opened up a campus on the moon last week and they're going to Mars in two years and they're going to figure out how to do that. Right. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm a horrible person. So I think I think we get discouraged. I think we get discouraged because of um, interactions on social media. And so I think social media is a tremendous tool. I think it's a great asset. I think it's a way um, to communicate. I think there are way more benefits than downsides of it. But at the end of the day, it can be one of the most discouraging things um, out there. People have said stuff to me. They said stuff about me. And it always seems like the devil will let you read that at at the yeah. just the right time. You're like, oh, my gosh. And, um, and so – Social media can be disc- now. I'm not the anti-social media guy. I love using social media and stuff, but it it can be discouraging. So, um, comparison, you have social media, and then you just have the everyday wear and tear of life. The more tired you get, the more the more susceptible you are to temptation. I tell pastors um, this all the time, especially younger pastors. Um, you're never more vulnerable than when you've just had your most successful Sunday experience. Or if you're a youth pastor, you're never more vulnerable than when you've just had your best Wednesday night service. Anytime you have a series of successful celebrations after that time period, that's when you're vulnerable. Um, Think about it. Once again, I'm going back to Jesus. Jesus is baptized in one chapter, and the next thing that happened to him is he went into the wilderness for 40 days and didn't eat. Now, that just sucks. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there. I've got friends that have done the 40-day fast, and I'm like, I, I ain't done. But that's, that's, that's intent. But that's right after yeah. a spiritual high. 40 days without eating and the devil is your travel guide. Oh my gosh. How bad can that be? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, and so that's, that's what, that's what I would say is, is the comparison, the social media, and then, and then the successful experiences can bring spiritual warfare as well. And, and, and a lot of people don't think about that. That's so true. Um, what are some things a leader can do to try to battle through when you're in those moments or you realize that's happening? Um, what are some things to help break through that? Well, I um, I I I took a social media break for about a year. I didn't I didn't look at anything on social media. Um, my friend Stephen Furtick wrote a book called Crash the Chatterbox that talked about getting those negative voices out of your your life, and so that 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 might be a good book to help somebody that's going through a tough time. Um, but but personally. I, and, and this is, man, this sounds like such a churchy answer, but I'm a church leader. Um, I am really trying more and more and more just to memorize verses of Scripture and quote them over and over and over again in my mind. Because Jesus defeated Satan by quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. He quoted um, Scriptures from the book of Deuteronomy. Satan actually quoted the book of Psalm back to Jesus, so Satan knows Scripture too. Um, that's why you got to use it in context. But uh, that's the thing that I do. And then ultimately, I think I finally landed here. I don't always believe believe this, but it's true. Um, 
I'm not going to be held accountable for what Craig Rochelle or Andy Stanley or Rick Warren has done. I'm going to be held accountable for the calling that God has placed on my life. And so as a leader, my primary responsibility is to be obedient to the calling because I want to be able to say, like Paul said, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And that's so, that's so cool that you see in Paul's life. So you got Paul and you've got Peter, and neither one of them compared themselves to each other. Paul said, I've got the, I got the Gentiles, Peter, you've got the Jews, and they work together to accomplish um, that, that purpose. And so anyway, I just, yeah. That's so good. One thing that helps me sometimes, um, I realize that I just, some, uh, just need to repeat God's promises until I start to experience God's promises. You know, you're talking about memorizing God's Word. If I hear myself saying it out loud mm-hmm. enough, eventually you'll walk into it. Um, you know, we and, mentioned- and let, me, let me pause right here. Let me pause right here. I know a lot of pastors and church leaders out there right now that tell me I have a hard time memorizing Scripture. And I would say, yes, you do. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I've had people um, demean me for that, talk down to me, tell me I'm just not godly or whatever. But of course you have a hard time memorizing Scripture. The enemy is going to make sure that you have a hard time memorizing Scripture because he, because it, once again, it's spiritual because you don't have a hard time memorizing the lyrics to your favorite song. Hey, I can do Ice Ice Baby right now. I can do the whole thing. Um, hey, it's Halloween. It's Halloween. I can yeah. do Thriller, Michael that, Jackson. That might start a whole new wave of spiritual warfare. Dude, it would. It would. I could. Hey, I can do Carmen the Champion. <laughs> Please don't. Uh, in the vast expanse <laughs> of a timeless place. Can we cut that? Where no, silence ruled the outer space, <laughs> ominously towering it stood, the symbol of a spirit war. Anyway, I could, but... You know, we memorize movie lines. Uh, what you know? What's the soup? What's the soup du jour? It's the soup of the day. Mm, I'll have that. You know that dumb and dumb. Like yeah. we memorize things like that. We memorize jokes um, because they're easy. They're easy. We memorize sports t- statistics, but there's something about scripture that really does make it harder to memorize, which shows us right from the start. There's a spiritual element yeah. to it. So if you have a hard time memorizing Scripture, it's not because you're stupid, and it's not because you're ungodly. It's because when you memorize God's Word, Hebrews 4.12 says it's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And when you, look, when you, use to, uh, to learn, when you learn how to use a sword properly— Man, you're a warrior. Yep. And so, yes, it's difficult to memorize Scripture, but, man, it's worth the effort to do one, one verse a week, one, one verse a week, one verse a week. And in five years, you've got over 250 verses memorized. Man, that's powerful. Um, well, let me ask you this. What would you say is the best way to help and or lead someone who's in the middle of a battle? And what I'm talking about here is is maybe you realize your leader's going through this, or maybe somebody you work with is going through this, or maybe even somebody on your team is going through this. Uh, how can those of us who can – how can uh, – if we recognize somebody that we're around is going through this, how can we rally around them to help? Well, let me let me tell you what not to do first. And, and, the, and the reason I'm going to say not to do this is because this is the way I did it for years, and it doesn't work. Um 
I, I would sit down with people that are in the middle of a spiritual war. I mean, it's legit. And I want to push the pause button real, right, real quick and say I don't talk about this a lot, but I've had experiences in spiritual warfare that would literally, if I talked about it, keep people up at night. I've seen things, heard things, experienced things that are supernaturally unbelievable. But the reason I don't talk about those things a lot is because I'm not on this earth to give the devil glory. Right. Um, and so I don't want people to get fascinated with the work of the, the enemy. I, uh, I remember being at a, at a um, group one night, and uh, we were doing prayer requests. And I, the, the, I hate group prayer requests because everybody, you know, unspoken. And I'm like, well, no, you just spoke it. So now it's a spoken, unspoken. Um, but there were people going, oh, pray for me, the devil's doing this in my life. Pray for me, the devil's doing this. Pray for me, the devil's doing this. And I just remember asking the question, um, is Jesus doing anything in anybody's life this week? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be the smart. Yeah, I was, actually. I was trying to be that guy. But... Um, so I want to go back to the person that you know that's in the middle of spiritual warfare. Telling them to pray and read their Bible more is not the answer. Um, now, is more prayer a good thing? Yes. Is reading your Bible more a good thing? Yes. But that's not the answer to every spiritual um, battle going on. Um, the thing that I've learned and I'm still learning this, is when someone is going through a spiritual battle, if you really want to help them, the first thing you've got to do as a leader is understand them. And where this becomes difficult in leadership is sometimes as leaders, we feel like we don't have time to sit down and listen to the people that are going through issues. But Jesus, in John chapter 10 said, my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. And if you're a leader, then the people that follow you need to know your voice. Well, the way they know your voice is not by reading your blog. It's by getting to actually sit down and spend time with, with you. And so if you're responsible for people, if they're going through a tough situation, if you really want to minister to them, take the time to try to understand what they're going through. Because they might be going through something that you cannot, listen to me, you cannot help them with, but you can get them in touch with somebody that can. For example, if there is a mother um, that has miscarried and she is really wrestling spiritually with going, I can't, I, I can't help her. I can pray with her. I can encourage her. I can uh, try to say a Bible verse or something, but as a leader, if I can get her with another woman that has experienced what she has experienced, that's going to be a win. That, I mean, that's going to be a win. Um, I can't, spiritually, I can't understand a drug addict. I've never been addicted to drugs. I've never, um, I've never, I've never ever done drugs, but... I, I can understand if somebody's addicted to drugs. I know people that have been addicted to drugs, and I can get them with that person. Now, on the flip side, um, if somebody's addicted to pornography, I can I, I understand that. In fact, the, the the joke is, and it's not the joke, but we I go to the care room once or twice a year to serve. All of our staff members do that because I want them locking eyes with people that we do ministry with. 
and it doesn't matter what the sermon's on. It doesn't matter who preaches or what's the sermon. I'm always going to get the porn guy. I always get the. We could preach on the Ark of the Covenant, and I would get the guy that said, "God really spoke to me today and told me I needed to quit looking at porn." But I think the reason I always get that person is because I understand the spiritual element of that battle, and I can help that guy. Or now I'm. I mean, it's an increasing problem with females, but it still it still comes from the same place. And so I can understand that person. So the best thing a leader can do with someone who's going through a spiritual battle is seek to understand what they're going through and then get them in the right position um, with someone that can help them. For example, recently, um, I have someone uh, uh, on staff, there's someone on staff really, really battling through anxiety. And, um, and I understand that because I, I wrestle with anxiety as well. But I realized this person needed to actually meet with a counselor. It's, it's not something that I could handle. It was over my head. And so I'm literally putting him in a position where he can do that. And that's, that's good leadership is when you put people in a position to set them up for success. And so um, everybody, I'm, I'm going to go and tell you if, as a leader, everybody you lead is dealing with a, an intense spiritual issue, especially if you're on a church staff. Everybody. There is no one that's walking into your office going, man, hadn't been tempted this week. I mean, that, that's just not going on. But seeking to understand that battle they're going through, will, will, it will earn you equity with them as a leader. That's real good. Uh, Perry, as we're kind of closing down today's uh, podcast, I'd love to ask you this. Um, I'm going to bet, because you just even mentioned this, that there's somebody listening to this today uh, that feels like they're in the middle of a war that they can't win, um, and maybe they don't know what to do next. What would you say to the person that's listening that feels like they're in the middle of this and they just simply don't know what to do next? What you would need you to, tell them to do? Yeah, you need to go talk to your leader. And if you're a senior leader and you feel like you don't know what to do next— um, hey, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, and I don't get any money for referrals, um, but the Blessing Ranch, John Walker, um, that ministry saved my life. Um, nobody understands pastors like that dude, and uh, it's a ministry that, that I believe in. And once again, I'm not, I don't even know the website. Can somebody look up the website? I, I, I don't, I mean, we'll put it in the show notes or whatever. Yeah, we can do that. Um, but but that, that guy understands spiritual warfare and leadership on a level that's that's just unreal. Because here's the deal. I've, I'm a mutt spiritually, so I've spent some time in Baptist world, um, and Baptists tend to not talk about um, spiritual warfare. Uh, I spent some time in Pentecostal world, and they yell at demons, and I'm not sure that's effective. I don't, I don't think that works. I don't think naming a demon and screaming at it makes it leave. Um, and I've been to seminars. Where for three hours people stood over me and and shouted demons out of me, um, and uh, it was it it. I'm just telling you, it, it didn't work. Um, I but but maybe you went through an experience and they shouted alcoholism out of you, and that's awesome. Praise God for it. Um, I'm just saying, if you're in the middle of a situation, you're not going to be able to pray it away. Jesus, listen, I love the fact, I, I was just thinking about this the other day. The Trinity, the Trinity is evidence that we can't do life alone. 
the Godhead created the entire world, but even he and who he is demonstrates that we need one another. So sometimes the reason that we go through spiritual battles is because God is teaching us to lean into and depend on one another. The only person that didn't really need to lean in and to and depend on anybody else was Jesus. And um, if you're the son of God, you get a, you get exempt on this. Anybody else, we're, we've got to have one another honest, raw, and transparent in order to get where God wants us to be. And as a leader, as a leader, as a leader, one of the most valuable things you can do is create that atmosphere in your staff where if somebody comes forward and says, I'm struggling with this, or I looked at porn, or I um, thought about this, and I, I crossed a line, the first thing should not be, how fast can we fire them? Um, and maybe the offense calls for being fired or released. The first question should be, how can we help this person? Um, that's the first call of a, of, a, of a leader, of a shepherd. And so that's what I would say. I would say go to your leader, get help. And then I highly, highly endorse. Ricky, did you find the website? Yep, it's blessingranch.org. Blessingranch.org is the website. It's real unique because it's not a ranch anymore. They're, they're in Florida. They used to be in Colorado. But um, I, I cannot, if you're a pastor and you feel like nobody understands you, John Walker is a friend, and um, and he can blessingranch.org. It, just look him up online because it's it's incredible. All right. Well, that will uh, take us to the end of today's podcast. And, so, Dealer. hey, if you've got anything you'd ever like to hear us talk about, you can always send it to uh, hello at newspring.cc and say podcast questions, and we'll take a look at those. That would be awesome. Just a Q&A podcast? Yeah, Q&A, whatever. That would be We're awesome. here to serve the people. We are here to serve the people. That is Anytime, why I am now going to do the entire version of The Champion. Hey, now's a good time to end the podcast. See y'all later. <laughs> Bye.